I know what we're going to talk about. I already know, right? It's probably going to be like know. big layoff at Telltale happened. Yeah. Yes. Very big one. Uh, it said it was like 25% of their workforce. Yeah, like a lot of people. Um, yeah, which sucks. And they blamed... Uh, they didn't blame, but they said uh, a big part of it was sort of refocusing what they do and market forces being what they are uh, in terms of, I guess, the whole single-player games not making as much money thing. I mean, I put a tweet out just last night, and it was deliberately a little... Uh, deliberately, sneakily incendiary. I put something in that I was like, this will get replies. And it <laughs> did. And I'm not going to read all of them, because there was like 14, 15 replies, which for me is a lot. Uh, I just said, do AAA games need to cost more to remain sustainable? And I had to clarify. Thanks to the wonderful Mr. Chris Lum, who said I should probably clarify that. I meant single-player narrative games. Uh... I put in the line, loot boxes and microtransactions seem like a band-aid, and I, I knew that would be a, a stickler for some people. So that was my hook. I was like, I'll get replies if I put this in. See? And I'm yeah. letting you in on the process, dear listener. You're, you're, playing, a, you're <laughs> playing a marketing game here? I am. Trying to, <laughs> trying to get replies? How do you monetize on those replies, Chris? Uh, this this podcast is all the payment I need, Gwen. It's, uh, okay. <laughs> it feeds you're... me. Um, I gotcha. <laughs> keeps you, me you're enclosed. fishing for replies so that we could have a, a more interesting podcast. Yes. I, I like that, man. Dedication, yeah. work ethic, man. Thanks, I'm thanks, thanks. Uh, I said games have been £45 for years, which is a thing that I think I've even mentioned on this show before and definitely something I've thought. For the, for, since when I was a kid buying PS1 games, they were about 40 45 quid. And I can buy brand new games on Amazon now or in the... There's a supermarket across the road. They were selling Assassin's Creed. Day it came out, £45. And in my head, I do think, like... I know because I've had many replies. There's lots of arguments for this. But in my head, I do... Just as a consumer, I think, like, how has that not gone up? Like, everything else in this world costs more than it did when I was a child. The Humble Mars Bar, 30p when I was a kid. (laughs) 30p... And 50p for a can of Coca-Cola. So you're having a good time now. Pound for a can of Coca-Cola. 60p for a Mars bar. It's all gone up. But video games... This is all funny money to me. I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. But like... Basically, things have gone up. Lots of everything's gone up. But video games, about the same. Despite the fact they cost more to make. And so so in my head, I was always just like, well, this must be a thing like this must eventually become a problem surely for mm-hmm. the people making them because if you're charging the same price as you was 15 years ago for a more expensive uh, more product people, it depends right i mean it's just an it equation. does yeah it's, it's if more people yeah. are buying it for for the same amount of money then you're making more money mm-hmm. like so there's that but oh, i mean yeah. when i say as a consumer I, you can always read that as as an idiot who doesn't know anything <laughs> I think <laughs> this. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think you're... Uh, uh, should the price of games go up? I think this microtrends and this ongoing revenue is a way for the price to go up. Yeah. I mean, you have to keep in mind, you can't just suddenly put a game out for $70. <laughs> just hope uh, people buy it. And nobody else does. And you also can't price fix. So the market will... The market will bend and or break until until we reach some kind of price point right now i guess um i wouldn't be surprised if the price of games actually goes down and the price of dlc and and ongoing revenue goes up especially considering 
hearing the, the, the things I hear um, and the fact that I'm pitching to publishers. So I hear, uh, I know what people are looking for and I know what they're looking for is ongoing revenue right now um, in various forms. Like, uh, it doesn't matter how you're getting ongoing revenue. I don't think loot boxes are necessarily the way. But getting somebody to subscribe in some fashion or getting some getting your milking a little bit of more money out of your your players that play for a really long time uh, seems to be a, a topic of conversation. Um, yeah, a lot of people pointed out to me that saying about the costing more isn't necessarily correct. It, it's my stupid observation. But as I just mentioned, the wonderful Chris Lum, he was saying... Uh, that games for a service are a service and as you just said they need support consistently and need a business model the high price points would be a turnoff uh as people won't stick around long term because they don't want to invest that much up front uh <laughs> but he also says much like you he doesn't engage with loot boxes so he doesn't know if that business model is actually any better and that he'd rather just buy the premium deal and not have to worry about it but not everyone has that kind of purchasing power which is very true i know a lot of people in the industry will say stuff like, oh, I just want the entire game. But that's not necessarily something that everyone can afford. So, like, you can't afford to go for the definitive edition. Like, I bought the mega edition of Destiny, not the one with the bag. I didn't see the point of that. But the one with the <laughs> season pass and that. And that was about 90 quid. So it was like, yeah, that's that's a chunk. That's a chunk of money. Mm-hmm. And when you were buying that, if you had bought it piecemeal it probably would have cost more right like you saw it as yeah, kind of like a deal kind of for something idea. that you were gonna buy all of anyway yeah that's sort of the idea you save about a tenner and that, that's about it mm. i'm deliberately using english uh, terms for money now gwen because i know is, do you believe that a tenner <laughs> is an english term oh like british is it not oh yeah uh i don't know what it <laughs> i assume that is ten dollars yeah uh, i didn't yeah. know if americans called they probably no. call it like a is no, that a we, Benjamin? What one's a we would just what one's call it, ten? You call it ten dollars. Maybe ten bucks, maybe? Ten bucks. What's you what's because you've got presidents on them. Yeah, we do, yeah. What's the yeah. ten? What one's the ten? Shit, I don't know, man. I don't pay attention. Uh, it's, a I ten on it. it's all about the I know it's all about the Benjamins. <laughs> it is all about the Benjamins. You have the most that. important part. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. we'll get back on uh, track here. This uh <laughs> Um Someone from a group of developers called Party of Introverts, so I think this might be a little bit of a self-interested reply, said another option would be to make them shorter and to the point, as I believe Party of Introverts, who mm. uh, made the game Thing in itself, made quite a short and to the point game. Perhaps. So let's talk that, let's talk that through. It depends on the kind of game that doesn't necessarily make it that much cheaper. I mm. mean, once you've gotten your process down and you've figured out so much of getting a game and the gameplay, uh, you figure out your core loop and you get that down. Um, and you want to have the game be long enough to explore that that core loop and what you're doing with that core loop, right? And uh, mm. you want... Uh, uh, once you kind of have your systems in place, making a little bit more content with those systems, depending on what your systems are, is usually a lot cheaper than um, finishing the game early and then starting another game. Do you understand what I'm saying? I get you. I get you. Like, it's true that there's some games where this is not true. There's some games, especially narrative-heavy games with a lot of dialogue and such, where the longer the game is, there's almost, a, there's not a one-to-one, -one, but it, the more, the longer you make the game, the more that costs to a great degree. Yeah. And then there's games where 
once you've kind of got the system in place for your fighting and your combat and your um uh your your items and how items upgrade and you get a, you get all this shit figured out once you've got it figured out adding more content even if it's not procedural even if it's hand done it's just a matter of uh, it it's you get a better return on it and the closer you move the bar from like narrative game to to procedurally generated like where that's a spectrum and the closer you are on the spectrum to proc gen obviously it gets cheaper to make a a longer game right Mm. so i don't think uh that's a different it's another difficult one it's another one where it's like it's not necessarily card dry no it's not one-to-one i mean for naughty dog it might be one-to-one but not (laughs) most of us aren't making um you know that no uh, uh richard james cook on Twitter came in saying that costs need to come down, uh, but they can only do that when a gamer doesn't expect a 100 plus hour experience for every $60 game they buy. What say you to that? I mean, I think we just talked about that, right? Uh, I guess we did. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think we, yeah. I mean, like the Naughty Dog games aren't six plus hours. If you want an example of a game that's short and, and is cheaper, take a look at what Bithel's doing. Um, Mm. There, he he's making narrative short games that are an hour or two. The indie space is making a lot of short narrative games that are an hour or two. I mean, you're seeing that. Um, yeah, that's very true. It, it is successful for some people. It's not successful for everybody. There's not an instant Lamborghini like out of that. You know, that's not like the formula. Yeah. Uh, in fact, um, I think on PC right now, the the prevailing thought among people who are in business and indies would be uh, pushing towards roguelike proc gen and away from narrative is the way to make your money. I don't know if I agree with that. Um, why don't you agree with that? Oh, or why just... do you not know? Do you want to talk it through? Sure. I mean, this, I mean, is, this be... is this is kind of the big conversation, right? This is kind of the, the conversation at the moment within the games community is are these big games sustainable? I guess this has always been the worry with video games... Are they just going to stop? Are we going to? Are they going to not be able to make video games anymore? And this yeah. kind of feeds into that worry. But I'm I'm interested to know what your thought process is on things like that. Oh, um, this is this is going to be really simple, and it's going to sound really stupid. But there's a thought to uh, investing. So I I used to gamble. I would call it. I used to invest in the stock market from time to time, just a Ooh. little bit. Uh, and what I would do with it would be called contrarian investing, which is you look at what absolutely everybody is doing and you try to sense when there's a market overcorrection and you try to capitalize on it. Mm. Uh, you just kind of like, it's like betting that, that not that people are wrong, but that they're overcorrecting. Um, and I see what you mean. So people are leaning so far one way that you're thinking, well, if absolutely everybody make says if everybody in both the AAA space and the indie space as one starts shouting from the rooftops that the only way to succeed is loot boxes and to avoid narrative games, then no one's making narrative games. And the one person that does makes bank. Hmm. Just because no one else is doing it and the competition is so low. So I don't think... um, And then the second that person makes bank, obviously there will be a flood. uh, (laughs) back, And then the pendulum will swing again. Like, this is just how it is. Um, I... I mean, I'm not saying, like, go make a narrative game right now because you're going to fucking make a killing if in, you know, in two years when you ship or whatever. Uh, I actually don't 
believe that's true for for most people but i think mm. if you are a person with the experience of making narrative games um i would look at the market right now and i'd be like wow no one's investing in that at all i wonder what is the cheapest way i can capitalize this i would look towards next year and i'd estimate that there's probably not going to be a lot of single player um narrative games and i would sniff around and see what is coming out in the next year or two in that regard and try to position yourself to launch in a window when no one else is doing that. Ah, um, so you're you're using your brain here, Gwen, and looking at the uh, the bigger picture, looking from high above, seeing seeing how market forces uh, have moved from before, and uh, I don't know if this is niche. like that fucking complicated, but sure. Well, <laughs> yeah. from from there's, the from the way are... reporting is, I would say there's no there's not yet been a argument in the report because all the reporting on this story is obviously deeply within now obviously because that's the way news works it all exists deeply within what's happening right now but i have yet to see the counterpoint looking at it from more of a historical perspective and from market forces and everything saying well you know that's just kind of how it goes (laughs) back and forth give it time yeah i mean there's there's definitely um, been a movement over time towards monetizing more on your long tail. This is definitely a thing. I think a lot of... Can you imagine? Imagine the number of people that bought Diablo 2 uh, or Diablo and how much money Blizzard would have if uh, <laughs> people had to pay a subscription for that. Or if you even had to like buy that game again to play it again or anything. Any kind of monetization. People put so much time into that game. Or the people are still playing Counter-Strike to this day. Or, like, there's a lot of games out there where people back in the day just put up an initial down payment and got thousands of hours of entertainment out of it. And, of course, like, just some there are some business people that are looking at that sideways and are, you know, mad about it. I could definitely see that. But, I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable. I mean, it's very obvious, I think, that when you're in this kind of climate where everybody in the press and there's this prevailing narrative that the only way to make money is with um, ongoing revenue and and there's no publicly traded company is going to touch you if you don't have something that uh, some some proposition, some pitch that that pushes towards ongoing revenue at this point, because if they did, they'd have to tell their investors why um, they why they were making that bet. So nobody's going to put serious money into something like that right now. Right. Um, and I'm not saying everything will be loot boxes. I think ongoing revenue streams, you're forgetting that there's always ways to do that with DLC and, and there's there other is. ways. And also um, everything isn't loot boxes at the moment. That's the other part of it. Like, there's a whole bunch of games, as we discussed before, like that have come out that don't have that stuff in it and still have done quite well. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, but what I'm saying is people who are investing... Uh, things that publishers are investing in right now will most likely be something along those lines, something that yeah. is, yeah, like that. Um, anyway, where was I going with this? Uh, and, and so if you look at that, um, you can probably look towards some of the more daring middle tier publishers or indie publishers. They might still be funding something in the in the indie space or in the indie realm up to a certain amount of money. I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just saying, like, I sense that there will be fewer of these games made, and so the ones that are made will might have the potential to make money in the next year or two. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, it's an interesting perspective. And I definitely think there's a case for, as you say, we're, we're reading this in the news a lot. And I think I mentioned it to you just when we were chatting on Facebook. It was like, the more they tell you this is the case, and this is using the weird, almost Alex Jonesian conspiracy theory, yeah. like they, the more they, t- the more they tell you, like that this is what it is, the more it is true. So when these statements come out and they say, and this is not to put down on any, anything anyone said, but when they come out, well, it's the market forces that mean X, Y, and Z. Even if you can look at it and say, well, that, maybe that's not 100% the case. Maybe there's X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, this will become the narrative and will become the truth for people like investors and things like that. And obviously there's mm. truth to it. I'm not saying it's a lie, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, this mm. is, it's called groupthink. Like, it's a thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like I've just discovered and it and I'm explaining it to you. <laughs> so clever. Gwen, I've just been looking at this and I've figured it out. <laughs> no, it's true. It's all it's, a lie. <laughs> it's everywhere. And the market's getting bigger. And there's a lot of fear in the marketplace right now because while mm. there is a lot of money, um, I mean, you've got to see... Okay, so there's a lot of development happening overseas in much cheaper company, countries. Also, there's a large consumer-based um, in China that is just about to explode, is currently exploding. Um, so we're seeing a, a just in general a massive shift in uh, in this industry. And when you have a massive shift in any industry, if you have a massive shift in anything that, that's this big in a market sector that is as big as ours, um, you're going to make... This makes people nervous. When people are nervous, they tend to make safer bets they move towards blue chip stuff they 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 invest in things that are safer right when whenever the economy looks scary and let's be real there's just in general a lot of fear in the world right now there's a lot of uncertainty in the world right now um and this is when people tend to to be more cautious uh it's just human nature it's just how things are and i think um i brought up bithel earlier because i'm really i am following him quite closely uh because i'm interested in what he's doing i think what he's doing is cool I, uh, the idea mm. of making short games that are experiences that are shorter and that are narrative um, and releasing them at a frequency. I'm guessing he's going for like about one a year, maybe ish. That seems interesting to me. Um, that's a mm. cadence that allows you to, to have a couple failures and a couple not failures. I'm curious to see how many. Um, I'm curious. I will say in the indie space, people are a lot more cautious than I expected. I was in my head when I. When I was in AAA, I was like, oh, those weirdos in the indie space, just do whatever. And then I joined the indie space. And now I'm like, wow, there's actually, they're really thinking through the business here. And uh, which is both good and bad because I think they're the same group think that affects AAA is definitely prevalent in the indie space. But mm-hmm. I will say I'm seeing um, the way people seem to be diversifying their risk is by working on multiple, pro- multiple properties or projects at the same time. That seems to be happening a lot. Um, studios are becoming multi-project studios um, so that they can have a couple of bets that are safe and a couple that aren't. Um, you're, you're seeing more of that going on. Um, you're, things are definitely different than they were 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, just in that even without ongoing revenue and things like that, uh, the games that you make now seem to sell for years. Uh, Whereas back like in the 90s and before you sold your initial like you had your opening uh, like you sold your initial game. uh, You had your Christmas and and that was kind of like kind of (laughs) it. 
the games these days make money over a much longer time window than they used to. Um, mm. Even without DLC or microtrans or anything like that, these games have just such a, a longer tail um, than they used to. Um, what else is going on? Yeah, we, we did get some questions on Twitter, Gwen, if we want to. Oh, I'm to, sorry. Uh, yeah, let's keep going through them. What do we got? We want to move along. Favorite games of the year so far, asks Bearded Outlaw Furry. Let's do a podcast in December. We will. We talk That's what I'm about. thinking. We'll yeah, do a podcast. We'll go. think about it. They'll, we'll give out an award. We'll do awards. <laughs> we could do awards, Gwen. Give out an award. Ah, uh, oh, we are going to do the. We're going to do an end of year podcast to to end all end of year podcasts. Yeah. What the world is ending? No, I mean we're just going to be so good at end of year podcasts that people are going to be it, like, well, shit, never do any more. Nah, they nah, they man. did it. You can always top yourself. We can always get there. You can always top yourself. It'll be, it'll always, this next, this end of year podcast will be the best part of, uh, end of year podcast that's ever been done so far. Yes. There you go. That's how good it's going to be. Uh, well, we'll talk about that later then. We've got another question from Antonio Mm -hmm. Espinoza on Twitter who asks, do we plan to do any more interview kind of episodes of other developers uh, to learn about their background, how they got to where they are, etc.? So I'm guessing he enjoyed the Stephen Gaynor episode and is looking yeah. for more things like that. Dude, you know, we were going to get uh, a buddy of mine on here to talk about game engines specifically. And this was like very, how do I put it, self-serving. I wanted to know more about the Frostbite engine and somebody reached out to me that's like uh, works at Visceral uh, and worked at Visceral and was like, yeah, yeah, I'll get in your podcast. We'll talk about game engines. And I was really excited about it. And then shit went down. Uh, and that didn't happen. Um, but we are I'm open still... to more. I mean, yeah. Let me know who you want. Who do you, if you like it, if if people are into that sort of thing. Yeah, totally. We can do more of that. It's like slightly more work. So you got to, you know, a bit more. put in an we've... email. But that's about yeah, it. Yeah, we've got to put in an email. We've got to think about anyone other than ourselves in terms of time and <laughs> stuff like that. And we actually have to plan things because we've definitely in the last few we, months. We did not plan anything for Steve Gaynor. And he no, really I don't think we did, it. actually. Yeah, we were just <laughs> no, like, we don't. hey, too. Even he was like, uh, should uh, should I ask you questions? Like, <laughs> <laughs> What is this show? <laughs> is this like, am I being interviewed? Or are you guys just, do you, do you do any plan? I'm like, no, man, it's eight in the morning where I live. We don't do plans at all, man. I'm like, man, it's up. one in the afternoon where I live. Come on. <laughs> Go easy on me. <laughs> I'm still waking up. <laughs> oh, God. That's uh, funny. But yeah, we would be more than up for doing more of that kind of stuff, especially if it's people either of us know, because, you know, that makes it a bit more fun for everyone. But if there's anyone you want to hear from, tag them on Twitter with us. If they're, if they're up for it, then probably so are we. Yeah. If you work, uh, if you happen to be working on Frostbite, you want to talk about the... <laughs> Gwen really wants to talk about the frostbite. Want to talk about please. the frostbite animation? Oh, you don't have to talk about it on the podcast. We could just hang out and chat. Let's just oh like, God! Hey, hit me up on Twitter, man. <laughs> My DMs are open. Gwen just wants friends. Gwen has opinions. <laughs> Gwen pinions, the Gwynians. Anyway, yeah. That's gonna be a whole. That's gonna be an award. We're gonna come up with awards. It's gonna be Gwen good. Gwen pinions. Jesus. Yeah, it's going to be a, your own little segment. It's going to be great. Um, uh, right. That's if we do the show live. One day we'll have enough listeners that when it comes to PAX East, we're going to do a proper live show and it's going to be really good. I've been planning this out in my head. I haven't told you about it, but I've been figuring it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm now nervous. All right, cool. Good to know. In my head, I'm like, in a year's time, maybe, PAX East, we could probably <laughs> do a live show and it, we could probably 
have a really good time doing that. Anyway, uh, Chris Lum on Twitter, who is uh, continuing a Twitter discussion, Chris Lum, friend of the show, great guy, uh, asks, best advice for making the jump from AAA uh, to indie in today's market as he feels it's less straightforward than it was before. But I think that could be a very big conversation. I don't know. I mean, it could be. I'd be curious to ping him. <laughs> He's like, nah, <laughs> it couldn't be. How is it? How is it different than it was before? I I'm mean, not sure. That's the, the follow up for you, Chris Lum. No, I mean, I could. We could dig into this a bit. This will be a longer episode. I'm fine with it. Uh, engines. Well, yeah, you're not editing. Do what you want, Gwen. Yeah, keep talking, mate. Fine. <laughs> fine. I'll shut up. Shit. <laughs> no, go ahead. Okay, depends on what you mean by before. If you meant before, as in, um, ten years ago. Or such. Uh, I'm guessing them from when you guys maybe went indie. I don't know if you're in the same sort of class as it were, but... Mm-hmm. If it was a couple of years ago, uh, you had to pay money up front for engines and you had to have more connections, I would argue. Now you can get started with nothing. You can just download... You have complete access to the source code of Unreal. It makes it very easy to go from AAA to indie right now. The fact that you can just grab an engine, if you grab Unreal, you have the source code for the engine and you can just start making a game and you can get it out there relatively quickly. And if you have, if you're in AAA, you have the skill sets necessary to just get going and do it. I would actually argue it's easier now than it's ever been uh, as far as just making the game goes. And I think it's a, because of that, it's probably a great time to be because it's so easy, um, because so many people are doing it, I think Epic and Unity are both gonna gonna go gangbusters and do really well. It's a good time to be working there. I think um, I think what's changed is that it's gotten so easy that so many people are going to be doing it and slash are doing it uh, that you are going to have a lot of competition. Um, I don't know. I don't really have a strategy for that. how do you stand out in a in a crowded marketplace is like a it's a difficult conversation to have and i think a a lot of people uh starry-eyed dreamers from the AAA space move into the indie space right now and are and think it'll be really really easy and i think um i i've always looked at well especially lately i look at the indie market for indie games as being similar to the indie market for movies and film i i look at it as like Showing your game at a game festival is like showing your game at a film festival. It's not necessarily um, long term. I don't know if it's necessarily going to remain a, a business. I think it, it might just kind of be something you do for 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 fun, for art, for, for you know, yeah. your, your own personal self-fulfillment. Um, and I think a lot of the people that are jumping into the indie space don't look at it that way. And so I'm concerned in that respect. I think... There is a case to be, if you want to go and start a small studio that grows and such, and you look at it as a business and you really think of, through your business model, you could do that. But I don't, most of the people I know that are moving from AAA to indie are taking this kind of hybrid approach where they're like, well, I'll just do whatever I want and it'll all pan out and I'll make a ton of money um, because it's so easy right now because I have this engine and then um, they launch. Uh, it's not that easy. <laughs> yeah, turns getting, out. Getting marketing, getting attention, even mm. if you're AAA, and the story of, I'm a AAA that went indie is not as compelling as it was five years ago because, yeah, so did fucking half the fucking industry. Yeah. Welcome to the party. Uh, that I guess this is where the less press. straightforward part of Chris Lum's question is coming in. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, the hard part is is definitely getting the attention because you can't get attention as quickly and easily as you used to be able to. We've got one final question. Oh my and god, there's so many very, today. It's a quick I one. It. It's from the Poppies, who is at Popper Ma- Poppy Mania on uh, Twitter, which I really like. Uh, ask what you're looking forward to the most from Red Dead Redemption Two. Me, the world, which is what I love the most about Red Dead Redemption 1. Just riding around in that world and its atmosphere and everything. That was my favorite bit. Loved it. I used to, I always cite the sunset as something that I like the most about that game, that you could just stand on a hill and watch that. Yeah. That was amazing. So that is what I'm looking forward to. That in even higher fidelity than we've ever had before. How about you, Gwen? Anything? No, I think we should just go with yours. I think yours is the best because that's that's where you pretty much nailed it. The world, the world building for me as well. The gorgeous fucking world building is going to be what makes it. It's pretty damn good. Also, we got a tweet that wasn't a question, but it came in with the questions from Blockchain on Twitter, who uh, apparently is a composer uh, with timeless games. I, I don't know, and just said, "Oh my god, I found the Twitter." Mmm. So I guess they're happy to find our Twitter, which you can do too, ladies and gentlemen, uh, at Dialogue Box Cast. Uh, find us there. Give us a follow. That's where I ask for questions if you're interested, because I'm well aware that more people uh, listen to this show now than actually interact with us on Twitter in any way. So if you want to and you want to have a question answered on here, do it on Twitter. It's the best place. Or just to me or Gwen on Twitter. She's Dyer Goldfish and I'm unimaginatively Chris Slight. But you can find us on Dialogue Boxcast on Twitter. So that's where we will be. And where if you want to ask a question and have your name judged by me and potentially Gwen Frey, you can do it there. So thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for being here, Gwen. Hey, it's been great. Thanks for all the questions. Uh, This has been Gwen Frey and Chris Slight, and you've been in the Dialogue Box.